It is the 200 level episode 111, Bubblicious. We're going to try to be optimistic today because there are more details that are sort of emerging about what a college basketball season would look like. And given the fact that we are not going to have Illini football this fall and that we have the best basketball roster since 0405, I think we need to set our sights on how we get that done. And it seems as if there is a path, a bubble idea, of course, being thrown about, which makes a lot of sense, and also the timing of when you could have this season, given the fact that most of these campuses, if they haven't already said, hey, students, stay home, would be sending them home before Thanksgiving in the first place. So there is a path. And at least, unlike football, when you look at the numbers for basketball teams, far less than any football team in terms of travel, and uh, the ability to quarantine 12 players as opposed to 80 to 110, however many guys run a football program nowadays, uh, that just seems a lot more feasible. So there is a path, and there is some positivity in terms of sports, college sports especially. And I say all that as students are back on campus. I didn't know whether to call this Bubblicious, which is more of an optimistic title, or Back to School, which is sort of ominous. It usually wouldn't be. It'd be exciting. Kids are back on campus. There's definitely a buzz in the air. But uh, there might be other things in the air, too, which, because of that, we've stayed away from campus over the last week. And we don't walk the dog in the six-pack anymore, at least not until the inevitable shutdown. I say all that. I say all that and trying not to get overly pessimistic about things. But when you see what's going on in other college campuses and you get little reports, whether it be tweets or the UIUC subreddit, which, yeah, I've been creeping on that a little bit. It is interesting to see how many posts are being put up there of, let's say, unruly behavior or unsafe for sure, where you have people congregating outside or inside well over 30 people doing what college kids do. And I think that that is the thing we've harped on here on this show is that without excusing behavior of 18 to 22 year olds, I think we need to be realistic about what they would do when you bring them back together for the first time in six months. And we're finding that out right now. We have 68 new cases in town, which the positivity rate is still very low, but the sheer numbers are going up. So are all of those individuals, most of whom are in the campus zip code, are they quarantining or are they going to schnooks like I did yesterday? I don't know. You know, that's the one thing I noticed. Uh, Karen and I went to schnooks yesterday to do our grocery shopping, and it was busy in a way that it had not been for the last six months. Why would that? Be? Oh, right. The students are back. That makes sense. So no matter where you're at in Champaign-Urbana or whatever college community you're living in, all of a sudden, you may have noticed that things take a little bit longer at the store, or there might be a little more traffic on your main roads, though I guess that's all relative. Chicago people come down to Champaign-Urbana, and they say, what traffic? I say, Prospect Avenue. It's crazy out there. But all that said, do I want it to work out? Yes, because at the U of I, it is remarkable what they've done. The saliva testing, along with what Yale did, that can be a breakthrough for the entire nation, maybe the world. That kind of technological breakthrough, no surprise it came from Champaign-Urbana and those researchers working with Carl. So if there is a university that can make this work, it would be the U of I. And while I have a little bit of skepticism for any higher education institution opening up because of the money factor, I do think that there is some good faith being practiced by the U of I administrators. Of course, back to those blind spots with parties, kids being kids, and that's where you think, man, I don't care how much a, an administrator at any college is paid. It seems as if they're trying to ignore the realities of what's going to happen with these students back in town. But we got a lot to cover today. We got a possible college basketball bubble. We have all the fallout 
from Kevin Warren, the Big Ten parent protest, all 26 of them up in Rosemont outside of the Fogo de Chao, which I think is a restaurant up there, which is really weird at the Big Ten campus that they protested at. I guess this is the main campus for the Big Ten conference. I do remember driving past it on the way to O'Hare, and it's just a bunch of cookie-cutter restaurants, and then, oh, look, there's the Big Ten headquarters. Well, that's where the protest was last Friday. It was not too eventful, pretty chill. A few silly things were said, go figure, but we'll get into that as well. And uh, one interesting thing as we get into the conversation about college basketball and maybe utilizing a bubble Something from Brad Underwood, which I thought was interesting, maybe not groundbreaking news, uh, but news nonetheless. We'll start with that in just a second. But before we do, a reminder, the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe, online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices, dpdoe.com. Now, here's the deal. I talk about campus. Oh, man, if you're not a college student, maybe you don't want to be on campus right now. Well, here's the best thing. They will deliver it anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So go to dpdo.com, get a custom zone with any topping you want, or one of their favorites, like a buffer zone, Maui Wowie. You get the dipping sauce with it. You can get a side, like a cookie, delicious cookies, by the way, and they'll bring it to you. You don't need to go east of that viaduct on Green and Neal. You can stay safe at home and let the boys from DPDO bring it right to your doorstep, dpdo.com. Also, 4th and Kirby, online at 4thandkirby.com. They had a really cool vintage football t-shirt that came out two weeks ago. You need to check that out. It's from a late 70s program. Very awesome. I'm going to order that. Another thing that came out just last week, though, their first volleyball t-shirt. Very cool, very vintage, as with all their designs. Go to fourthandkirby.com, and here's what you can use. Coupon code 200 level or the 200 level for 10% off your order at fourthandkirby.com. Not only that, all year long, buy two t-shirts get one free. And I promise you, there are at least three designs at fourthandkirby.com that you're going to find uh, worthy. So go over there right now, get some t-shirts. It's hot out. It's super hot this week. So you want to look cool and stay cool with fourthandkirby.com. Finally, brianismyguy.com. What's that? brianismyguy.com. State Farm agent Brian Hansen for life, auto, home, renters, business, you name the insurance needs, they have you covered. And not only that, but Brian and his staff, they are all local products. Champaign-Urbana, East Central Illinois, so they have your local interest at heart. Go to brianismyguy.com, Trevor Valise's favorite domain, for more information. And uh, knowing Brian and knowing the staff over there, it is essential to be able to trust your insurance agent. Brian and the staff over there, you can trust them. brianismyguy.com. Alana Inquirer, Champagne Showers Podcast Network, partners with the 200 level as we continue to roll on relatively sportsless before we get into Illini basketball an observation from this weekend watching baseball and the Yankees were not playing of course there was a positive test on the Mets go figure but after getting swept by the Rays I really was okay taking a bit of a break from the Yankees and their myriad of injuries but as I'm watching different baseball games on and having a hard time finding that many on standard cable I was struck by the relative amateurism of this reopening of baseball, the intermittent stoppages in play because of, of course, positive test. And then I also saw something that I thought was interesting. There's a Black Lives Matter sign on the pitcher's mound in Oakland. And I think a few other stadiums may have this. I know opening night, I'm pretty sure all of them did, though not a lot of them have continued having that logo there. And I was thinking, contrast that with the NBA. And you can actually remove politics from this for a second, I promise you. And the consistent messaging of the NBA, specifically with social justice, Black Lives Matter, 
politically, it makes a lot of sense. But in just in terms of branding, it makes even more sense that there is a cohesive vision with the NBA that is just totally absent for Major League Baseball. I thought that one thing, I just saw that pitcher's mound in Oakland and thought, well, why is that not uniform across baseball? Well, not many things are uniform across baseball. And they're sort of just flying by the seat of their pants and hoping that they can get through this season relatively unscathed, award a champion, and it seems at least somewhat uh, fair when all is said and done. Whether or not we feel that way after certain teams are rushing down the last you know six, seven weeks of the season, getting doubleheader in after doubleheader, that remains to be seen. But with basketball, on the other hand, and watching some of that playoff game yesterday, Luka Doncic, for the Mavericks, 21 years old. I did not realize this, that he's only 21, with one of the best playoff performances in recent memory. And as I'm watching that presentation, I know it's in a small arena in Orlando. They have the little video screen that goes across the court with different fans zooming in. But the presentation is just light years above Major League Baseball. That's been a long time coming. The NBA's really been on top of that for the last 10 years, especially resurgence for a league that, after 2000, was really trying to, you know, struggling to find its footing before LeBron came into the picture. But I look at how they do it and compare and contrast it with Major League Baseball, and it just makes you think, what a joke baseball has become. And I hate to say that because I'm definitely a bigger baseball fan than I am NBA. But just in terms of entertainment value and, you know, presentation, looking professional, the NBA is just killing it right now. We'll see, actually, if the NFL even gets to that level. I don't think they will, and I think they'll probably run into more issues, especially with positive tests. And there was a scare over the weekend, a bunch of false positives that came out with the NFL. I don't think they're going to match, or any league for that matter, is going to ma- uh, match what the NBA is doing. And really, you know, to a similar extent, the NHL. It works, of course, easier for sports that are played inside with not as many guys on the court or on the ice. I totally understand that. But all that said, to see the NBA and the NHL carry out their seasons the way they're doing and contrast that with Major League Baseball, as a baseball fan, it's disheartening. I wish I could have more faith that baseball would actually get this thing done and get it done well, but it's Rob Manfred, and we could go back to Bud Selig, and you can really go with the history of baseball. It is something that has been kind of resting on its laurels for decades not very forward-thinking, and not building the brand and instead resting on the fact that it's just a slice of Americana, that baseball will always be there in some way, shape, or form. But man, there's no reason with the amount of stars in the game that they have right now that they can't prosper a little bit more than they are. I know they're prospering fine. Don't get me wrong. The owners are making money hand over fist. Even without fans in the stadiums, the TV deals are still relatively strong. But man, I'd love to see baseball ascend basically, and make sure that it is the big three along with football and basketball and not falling all the way down, no offense to hockey fans, to the level of the NHL. If they aren't careful, and with the strike looming, presumably, if they aren't careful, they could certainly end up in a place like they were back in 94, needing some sort of crazy year like 98 to get them out of the pits. I decided yesterday I'm going to emphasize watching more NBA playoff basketball because so far it's been terrific. The level of basketball is is super high, and it is one sport that in this neutral court sort of dynamic, you feel that much better about the best team winning because it's the same court. I know that for the Mavs yesterday, they pumped up the crowd noise a little more when a Mavs player did something good, but there really is no true home court advantage, so you are going to get competitive balance better than you ever would in the NBA, and 
knowing basketball. We see it here at the State Farm Center. Well, usually, even the last year was a bit of an aberration, but home court advantage, it seems in basketball, means more than home field advantage in baseball, even home field advantage in football. There's something about a packed arena of fans screaming at the top of their lungs against you that seems to throw even the best basketball players a little bit off kilter. You don't get that. So you will truly get the best team at the end of this holding up that trophy. The Clippers tied 2-2 with the Mavs. A bit of a surprise. Do I think the Clippers get out of that okay? Yes. But is it a lingering concern that Paul George is not playing better? Absolutely. The Lakers, they're going to be fine. LeBron is turning it on. They lost that first game of the uh, Trailblazers, but they seem to be finding their groove now just in time, like they always do, like LeBron's teams always do, just in time to make that championship push. So I, I need to make an emphasis to watch more of those games because every minute I've watched so far, I have enjoyed. Speaking of basketball, college basketball, can we get this done? And that is really the mission right now. Big 10 football, it ain't going to happen. We'll get to that later. The fallout from the weekend, Big 10 basketball can, college basketball can, at least at the power five level where they have the resources to be able to test enough to maybe have some sort of bubble situation going. And as we get into the fall, I'm hoping beyond hope that we can get to the early fall, let's say mid-September, and have a plan presented. That way they can actually focus on executing the plan as opposed to, let's say, releasing a schedule like football and then a week later saying, ah, just kidding. We actually don't think we can do this. They can do this. So how are they going to? Well, one thing that I found was interesting is the way that these schedules normally work out. We know of the break games. If you live in Champaign-Urbana and the students are gone, it's your one opportunity, if you're a local fan, to get really good for tickets because the Orange Crush is not in attendance. Most college campuses are closing by the time we get to Thanksgiving, which means you have essentially an eight-week window before they would return in mid-January. Now, God knows where this virus is going to go. It could become more of an issue. Chances are it will. Add flu season to the mix. And I'm thinking, okay, how many colleges are even going to bring kids back in mid-January, barring mass distribution of a vaccine? So you might even have a longer amount of time than just eight weeks to get a season in on these campus bubbles. That is something that basketball has going for it that football did not. And think about the bad timing here. Football says, we're going to get things started. When? Well, when everybody else gets back to campus. Oh boy, that may not work out. Uh, Unfortunate for football, but again, a really positive bit of luck for basketball. So as we get into the late November, December, early January weeks, you could have games at the State Farm Center. You could have games at any campus arena because the students will be gone, and by that point, you can quarantine these players, test them enough to make sure that anyone that steps on the court does not have the virus. Great. That's good news. But we did find in an article today from the News Gazette, written by Scott Ritchie, that this virus has already impacted the University of Illinois basketball team. Scott Ritchie quotes Brad Underwood in this article. He says, have we had a positive test? Yes. Did guys go to quarantine? Yes. I chose not to shut the program down, but use it as an educational piece. Guys know what quarantine is like. Guys know if you test positive, what's going to happen. We have living proof of that. When you do things right, we've had a great month. Now, this goes to a point, and I was discussing this with Jeremy actually over text, about Josh Amaterbebe in a conversation that Josh and I had briefly on Twitter. The idea that a lot of athletes and some media have thrown out there is that athletes will behave better if there are games to be played. Now, While I agree that there are some athletes that certainly would follow that and say, you know what, this is far too important. I'm not going to risk getting sick. 
I think there are far too many holes in that argument to assume that an 18 to 22-year-old, if they're on a D1 program, is going to always do the right thing and not be tempted to go to a party, hang out with people. You know, listen, we rationalize decisions as human beings. We rationalize our decisions quite a bit, even if we know that it's not the right thing to do. At 18 to 22, you do so more than any age group, probably. I don't know. I don't have the science behind that, but think back to when you were in college. More than any time in your life, you probably rationalized things and said, no, nah, it's okay what I'm doing, even though you probably did, in fact, know better. So that argument, I, I get to a certain extent. And Underwood's saying it here, that this is a learning experience. We had a couple guys going to quarantine. Okay. We don't know who. They aren't going to release that because it's private information. But Hopefully, that is enough of an experience to keep the guys on the team focused because this thing is not going anywhere. And whether they're students on campus or not, there are still ways that you need to uh, act in public to not come down with this thing. And the worst thing, and I know Underwood's probably harping on this with his guys, would be to get into a season and then have a positive test and potentially shut the whole damn thing down. And this is far too good of a roster for that. If I use the term bubblicious for this, particular podcast. It's not just, oh, let's play basketball in a bubble. It's, you know, if we got to wrap these guys in bubble wrap, that's fine. Whatever you need to do to keep them safe. They can be a bunch of bubble boys, just like in Seinfeld. Keep them away from this damn disease because I want to see them play basketball. That's the selfish sports fan in me. But when we get into how we actually carry this out, this is where I find it interesting. The TBT that we all remember from the summer as a potential template That is something that is referenced in this article. This is from Brad Underwood. He says, no doubt, TBT's proved it. The NBA's proved it. We proved it this summer in our form of a bubble. Why do I believe there's going to be basketball? You've got the head, Dan Gabbett, telling you there's going to be, saying there's going to be a tournament. We have the ability to work towards that and believe that. Dan's a bright guy. I know how important college basketball is to him. There's 100% belief in what they're doing and what they're saying. That's another factor here. Dan Gabbett, pretty much the tops for college basketball, says that, yes, there will be March Madness, and that there will be a plan come mid-September on how they're going to carry this out. It's remarkable, thinking about how the NBA is putting Major League Baseball to shame, we could be saying the same thing in about a month about how college basketball is putting college football to shame, because they're putting this stuff together right now. As we speak, there are probably meetings going on. How are we going to get this done? We got this amount of time to do so. We want a March Madness situation. How are we going to pull that off? So to think, wait a second, they're actually utilizing this time, unlike college football, which doesn't really have a head guy. There is no big voice at the top of college football, at least not a present one. And I think that's led to all this splintering amongst college football conferences and how a couple are going this way and three others going that way. It's a mess. So maybe with a guiding voice like Dan Gavitt, that would help the case for college basketball. Scott Ritchie's article details what exactly is going on behind these closed doors. It says the oversight committees for Division I men's and women's basketball are working in concert with Dan Gabbitt, the National Association of Basketball Coaches, led since mid-July by former Oregon State coach and President Barack Obama's brother-in-law, Craig Robinson, is involved too. Gabbitt has promised an initial status update on the season in mid-September. There's a quote from Dan Gabbitt which reads, While circumstances may warrant flexibility, resulting in a different and perhaps imperfect season, the ultimate goal is to safely provide student-athletes and teams with a great college basketball experience, end quote. That experience, writes Scott Ritchie, at least for the 2021 season, think bubble, probably bubbles, plural, 
Ooh, many bubbles. It's maybe the only way the NCAA tournament in 2021 happens. So overall, I look at this and think, great, we got the templates. You got the NBA. You got the TBT. You have less amount of people, which is, frankly, the most important part of this, that you don't have a sideline full of 50 football players waiting to get on the field. No, you got, what, seven players on the bench, five guys on the court. You got a support staff, which you can minimize if you go into a bubble situation, and enough testing capability, especially with saliva testing becoming more pronounced and probably upscaling in the near future. All of these are good things. And it's one of those things when I think about the pandemic and how for me, and probably for a lot of people, one way to stay sane is to think about the things that you will be able to do or enjoy in the future, even if that's months from now. And I think we can all relate. And this is what really uh, brings this the scope of this entire pandemic to life for me is thinking how my benchmark for normalcy, whatever that is, is the last Illini basketball game that I went to on March 6. So really, that's sort of like the measuring stick. Oh, right. Remember that March 6 when we were packed into the State Farm Center? Oh, that virus that's over in China, it ain't going to be a big deal. Little did we know a few days later. But Thank goodness we got that in because it didn't seem like there was any transmission locally at that point. So somehow we got off of that thing scot-free with no cases resulting, apparently, from 16,000 people being crammed in that stadium. But that was normal. And then everything else since then has not been. And we've been trying to get back to that level, especially with sports, of being able to enjoy normalcy, going to an arena, or in this case, recalibrating those expectations and being just perfectly content with watching Illinois play on TV in an empty arena because this is, after all, the best roster that this program has had in 15 years. And to see these things being said by Underwood, the same things were not being said, at least I do not recall, from Levy Smith with as much certainty, that's for sure, that yes, there absolutely will be a football season. If I think back to the way Josh Whitman and Levy Smith were talking about it from the outset, they were being very careful to not guarantee anything because there was no guarantee. This is the first time they were trying this. And unfortunately for football, just kind of victims of circumstance, you have that many more guys to keep track of, even when all the students are gone in the summer. And kudos to Illinois that they did as good of a job as they did. But that is one hell of a guinea pig experiment. Instead of 12 guys, 100 plus. And I don't envy any athletic department trying to get that infrastructure in place for football. But thank goodness this could be done for basketball. The other driving force with this Athletic departments are starved for cash. Iowa announces last week four different programs, D1 programs, will be canceled, effective the next season. And I'm thinking, okay, I understand that there are a lot of financial issues that these athletic departments are going to have to go through, but there is still something, even if it's not surprising, there's still something jarring about seeing that a place like the University of Iowa, a Big Ten school, and all the money that comes down from the Big Ten Network and all the money that Iowa brings in, that they need to cancel four programs. Certainly, they are not revenue-making programs. It's, I think, swimming, gymnastics, that sort of thing. But nonetheless, a quick aside here before I get back to basketball. I was thinking about this on Friday when that news came out about Iowa canceling those four programs, about how college sports in general, they become so bloated, especially the Power Five conferences, huge money-making machines, but they're also huge money-spending machines. It's always a keep up with the Joneses. You got to make sure that your facilities are up to par. You have a couple programs that make money and a bunch of programs that don't. So I look at this entire situation and the pandemic has exacerbated it for any business. But think of that business model for big time athletic programs. 
it basically runs like this. We're going to make money from TV deals, from donors, ticket sales, with football especially, and men's basketball if we get a decent program, and that's going to pay for everything. To me, that's not a very sustainable business model, but again, I'm no economics major. I'm thinking, wow, that, that could be so fleeting, right? If you are that dependent on just a couple sources of revenue, and then when they go away, you're totally screwed. Whatever happened to the rainy day fund? Well, the way college sports operates, like I said, keep up with the Joneses. You got to spend. You got to build these facilities. I'm thinking, how did we get to this place? And then on the other hand, I realized how we got to this place. The fact that it is just this perpetual struggle to be number one, to have the shiniest places and make sure that whenever a recruit comes onto your campus, you are giving them the coolest presentation. Meanwhile, we pretend as if these are not professional athletes, yet we adorn all these facilities and all the amenities that these student athletes get and pretend that, yeah, they're amateurs. It's not a big deal. I don't know. That's probably not the most well thought through way to think about this, but it is a hypocrisy that has made it always a little more difficult for me to get on board with the morals and ethics behind college sports than professional. Because all the money that's being spent, it's being spent anywhere but the student athlete. Yeah, yeah, tuition. Yeah, yeah, they get apparel. Yeah, they get some food. Okay, great. They get a travel. I understand that. That's fantastic. But compared to the money they're bringing in, especially the revenue sport athletes, football and basketball, it pales in comparison to the money being spent by these athletic departments. Okay, that's a quick aside, but back to the good news with basketball. As we ramp up and get prepared for a season, and God knows how excited I am to finally get back to talking about Illini basketball, Dare to Dream 2020-21, we need that kind of speculative sports talk more than ever. Locally, especially, in Champaign-Urbana, absence of football anyways, and I know some of you were excited about football, but we're all excited about basketball. And the ability to just merely talk about what this team can do and what they're going to look like on the court. I'm hoping within a few weeks we get more concrete information on how they're going to proceed with this college basketball season. Now, this is a nice transition into the Big Ten because this is going to be a pretty good basketball conference. Top heavy for sure. Illinois among the top three. Let's put Iowa, Michigan State. Let's say top four. Sadly, I need to put Wisconsin in there too. I hate that, but I do. But the Big Ten really needs to redeem itself. We talked a lot last week, as did any sports media show, especially in the Midwest, about the Big Ten and its handling of college football. There was a terrific article written by Shannon Ryan in the Chicago Tribune with the headline here, Dear Parents, Listen to Reason, How Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren Should Address Football Parents Who Want Their Way More Than They Want Answers. This is from Friday. Still holds true, though. From Shannon. Maybe the reason Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren hasn't spoken publicly much is he has been biding his tongue. Warren was far too quiet while parents started firing off angry letters and reporters' interview requests were perplexingly declined after the conference announced its controversial decision to postpone fall sports because of concerns about the spread of COVID-19. It was bad PR, but that doesn't mean it was a bad decision. Friday morning, a few Big Ten families drove and flew several hours to announce they would, quote, like to speak to the manager, end quote, outside the conference's empty headquarters in Rosemont. They still want their sons to play football this fall during the pandemic. Despite statistics, despite the unknowns of long-term health effects, despite the medical advice from a team of experts that guided Warren and Big Ten presidents and chancellors, despite Warren saying the matter of playing this fall would not be revisited. Sure, Warren would have 
should have, I should say, followed the lead of the Pac-12, a statement that never before or ever again will be warranted when it comes to football, and release a dozen pages of documents and reasoning. But maybe he was showing restraint as he listened to Ryle Parents. In the tradition of the suddenly popular throwback hobby of letter writing, here's how I would have responded if I were Warren, or if I were Warren and didn't have to appease people. Dear Fall Sports Parents, Wait, were there any volleyball dads at the rally? Cross-country moms? Sisters of soccer players? No? Okay, let me start over. Dear football moms and dads, you say you want answers? Well, you've received answers. I think what you really want is to get your way. Look, I'm sorry we haven't spoken sooner. I apologize that I didn't expound upon reasons the Big Ten football season was postponed. I thought the onslaught of heartbreaking COVID-19 news, climbing death tolls, and hospitalizations spoke for themselves. I naively believe parents seeing students partying at universities would give you chills. I thought the heart condition of Indiana freshman Brady Feeney would help you see why this was the right call. I believe that with outbreaks at North Carolina and Notre Dame, you'd see our point. I thought sharing a position with a consensus of college sports, the Pac-12, Mountain West, Mid-American Conference, nearly every FCS program, including the Ivy League, would convince you we are in line with a logical majority. Is it not a sign of good faith that we will lose billions by aligning with universities that aren't financially fueled by athletes' money-generating skills? Can you also see how quarantining players, which is bound to happen during the season given the outbreaks we've already seen, would disrupt the season to the point of inval- invalidity? Excuse me. <laughs> I thought my letter earlier this week, with its bullet points citing transmission rates, myocarditis, testing inequities, and issues with contact tracing, was crystal clear. I meant it when I said fall sports, quote, will not be revisited, end quote. But 25 or so of you were in Rosemont anyway, and here are some stacks of letters. Not all of those are individually signed, of course, making it hard for me to know how truly representative you are in quantity and in racial demographics of your school's football rosters. I was foolish to think you would call me except the facts like basketball parents did in the spring when their kids' Big Ten and NCAA tournament dreams were ripped away because we stressed safety over an extracurricular. You're right that your child probably has a statistically small chance of dying during the season from COVID-19. But is that how low we're setting the bar? Do you understand we also considered how large football rosters traveling to other states also increases the risk of spreading the virus to other regions and other people, such as elderly stadium workers, airport employees, professors, members of our communities, including essential workers surrounding the universities? Oh, you thought we believe this is contagious only on the football field, that only your child bears the risk of the virus. No, no, that's not the case. I know, I know. But how can students be on campus? Aren't students in danger there? Probably so. You should consider telling your university presidents you'd like to have your kids go online this semester and tell your kids and their friends not to go to parties or bars. I see you relate some of your questions to reporters who outnumbered your rally goers on a little field outside the Rosemont Fogo de Chao. You wonder why Ohio State players can't play, but kids on Pop Warner squads in Columbus can. For starters, I'm not the governor of Ohio who ruled all sports competition can resume, but Ohio State would be playing half of its games outside of the state. And the Buckeyes are part of our conference's sports jurisdiction when it comes to competition. Ohio State's roster is about three times larger than any Pop Warner squad. And when the Buckeyes compete, there will be many more players breathing on each other for hours. You wondered why my son is playing college football, but yours is not. Simple. He plays in the SEC, of which I am not in charge. You also wonder why the Big Ten is not playing, but the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 are. 
Well, frankly, because we're making the right choice and they're making the wrong choice. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed your time in Rosemont. By the way, did you see our outlet mall? I hope you've read reports about a possible dome season in January, only a few months away, and know we're working on ideas. Answers don't come quickly, especially in the middle of a pandemic with a virus medical experts are still trying to figure out and our nation is failing to contain. Kudos for showing your kids it is good to speak up when you feel you've been wronged. But it's also important to show patience empathy, and perspective. When you left Rosemont, I assumed you were heading to your kids' universities to demand answers from the presidents who have happily allowed many to assume I have the final say, and not them. Or maybe you're headed to quarantine after coming to our county to gather. Stay healthy, wear a mask, and let's look forward to a future with less COVID-19 and more football. Your commissioner, Kevin. As always, excellent stuff from Shannon. Not just saying that because she's a friend of the show. We had her on. We need to get her on again soon. But the fact is, that is such an eloquent, what would uh, what would the term be? Takedown? I know that's what the kids say. An eloquent takedown of a lot of the sillier parts of these parent protests and these letters that were written by parents of Iowa football players, parents of Illini football players, which may have been the most embarrassing parent letter of all. I kind of railed on parents on Thursday, and I was having a conversation with Kara, and I'm glad that she made me cognizant of this. I speculated in the last podcast that a lot of the parents that would have written that letter likely were the same ones that weren't taking this seriously in the first place. That may be unfair to speculate and say, well, just because these people wrote a letter saying that they wanted more information from Kevin Warren, or even if it is as simple as they just want their sons to play football, which it probably is, it is probably wrong of me to speculate or paint with that broad of a brush because that is a character thing. You know, when I say something like that, I am going after the character of these football parents who have probably devoted, I I can't even, countless hours, right? Countless hours and time and energy and money into their kids' careers. So that was probably unfair of me. However, when I read Shannon's letter and I see the hypocrisies that she's able to really bring to light a lot better than I can for sure, I'm thinking, well, there you go. That's really a lot of the issue that I had with this protest against Kevin Warren, protest against not playing football, recognizing that Kevin Warren was not a good communicator from the outset and that he probably should not have taken any of that for granted. As Shannon said in that article, you know, you would like to think that these parents have enough context with everything going on that they would say, well, okay, all these other conferences have canceled. The Ivy League canceled. They canceled March Madness before there were that many cases to begin with. Why are we making such a fuss? Maybe the next step is that we work with the Big Ten to figure out an alternative. But instead, of course... These parents, or many of them, I should say, doubled down and said, hey, hey, we want football right now. We want answers. So yes, Kevin Warren made a huge misstep there by taking that for granted. And you need to assume in a position like that, unfortunately, you need to assume that the people that you're talking to, you need to explain everything. You can't just say, well, uh, health and safety and expect people, and especially in this polarized climate, to immediately be on board. So that was a misstep for sure. Now, what does he do when we get into basketball season? Now, keep in mind, you know, he is answering to the presidents and chancellors far more than the athletic directors. I know an article came out, I think Saturday, which said that all Big Ten ADs voted, yes, we want football. Okay, that's fine, but it doesn't matter. They don't get the say. Presidents and chancellors do. So where, as Shannon wrote, are these angry letters to presidents and chancellors? I will give the Illini parents credit. They included... President Colleen and Chancellor Jones, so they were cognizant of that. 
made sure that they addressed that letter, not just to Kevin Warren, but to the people that really made the decision for the University of Illinois. I get the hypocrisy. As I live in Champaign-Urbana and we see the case numbers going up, even though the positivity rate is low, I'm thinking, well, guess what? I don't care what the positivity rate is. There's more people in this community now that have it than before. And God knows what it's going to be in a week or two when college students do what they do. Yes, of course, that's hypocritical. And universities and colleges should be held accountable for that. Even the University of Illinois and all the preparation they put in place with the saliva testing and all of that. So as we go forward and the Big Ten begins to put information out there about what a basketball season may look like, and fortunately for them, they will have some guidance from the NCAA and Dan Gavitt and that uh, committee. But as they begin to put information out there, you can be rest assured that there'll be Twitter comments and replies that are immediately dismissive of whatever Kevin Warren says. Or even if they get good news, for example, they say, well, we do have a basketball season planned. We're ready to go. We have the testing protocols in place. We're going to go forward with it. You're going to get a bunch of replies saying, well, why weren't you able to do the same for football? When the answer to that question is as simple as too many people, the beginning of the semester when all the students were coming back to campus, ultimately, football parents, this decision goes all the way to the top of the universities far more than it does Kevin Warren, who was a mere spokesman. I did have a back and forth with Austin on Twitter. Well, not a back and forth. It was actually just one or two tweets each where I said, I don't think we're looking at some sort of autonomous decision maker here in Kevin Warren. I don't even know if Jim Delaney had that power. He certainly had more sway than Kevin Warren, who's in his first year in the position. But you are, as a commissioner, representative of, in the case of professional sports, all the owners, in the case of college sports, presidents and chancellors, not the athletic directors. Of course, all the athletic directors say we want to play. Why wouldn't they? They need the money for one. And most of these universities, in the Big Ten at least, had some sort of plan in place to provide as safe of an environment as you could, which, I'll be real, is not probably safe enough. I could make some digs at the turnout of this protest. 26 parents, I think, in total. There were more media people there. There has been some criticism of Adam Rittenberg, who was covering it for ESPN, that essentially some of these journalists, and I I do get this argument to an extent, journalists covering this event and taking these quotes are giving more credence to these parents than they should be. Here's why I think that's a fairly reasonable criticism. We are talking about a movement. I say movement. Uh, We're talking about some upset parents that are pissed off that their kids can't play football. At its core, that's what it is. We can dress it up in, well, they want transparency. They want explanations. Okay, fine. But there is also a bunch of context already out there in our world, in this nation right now, that would say, well, wait a second, parents. Sorry, but football, college football, is secondary to the other things going on. Nonetheless, these guys like Adam Rittenberg that are covering this protest, tough position, right? Maybe it's the publisher saying, we need you to go cover this because it's a story. We talked about it on here. It's a story. It's one of the few things in sports that is top of mind and has not seemed to really go anywhere. Hell, I'm probably perpetuating it by talking about it. So I can't really cast stones here. But with Adam Rittenberg and the others that were covering it, this idea that they are providing a mouthpiece for a position which is unreasonable in a lot of respects. I get that criticism. Adam Rittenberg has shot back at that. I also get that side where he's just doing his job, journalistically speaking, and he's written a lot more stories than I have and probably knows a lot more about journalistic ethics than I do. Uh, But I, I do see, though, why giving credence to these parents 
and these letters, as much as sports media, myself included, have done, have only elevated a position that doesn't need to be elevated. Now, you would say, well, Carp, what, are you the judge, jury, and executioner here? You get to decide what is reasonable or what is not. Well, as a commentator, I guess, I will certainly let you know when there is a position that I think is kind of silly. This position from parents is not altogether silly. It is very much emotional, as a lot of us are feeling emotional about a wide range of things right now. It's easy to see why these parents are upset that their kids won't get to play football. It's easy to see why they're all the more frustrated that their kids can stay on campus with tens of thousands of others, but they can't be in a football field with another 50 guys total. I, I, I get that, and there's validity to that. But unfortunately, what really kind of takes all that away from me is the way that these letters were focusing simply on, well, they're probably going to be okay with little to no regard about the communities in which these football players live in and the risk that they would pose, not just to themselves, but as Shannon Ryan said, the University of Illinois, as an example, essential workers, people working in the dining halls, in the residence halls, people that are cleaning all these lecture halls, which, you know, listen, if you're a football player, you are held accountable for actually going to your classes. We are talking about people that are working at the Walgreens on Green Street, people that are working at the new Target on campus, all these different, if that's open yet, I'm not sure, but all these different places where these athletes and students both are going, and they're the ones that are at risk, and then they go out in the community. So as I am shopping at Schnooks on Sunday, by no means a hypochondriac or a germaphobe, got my mask on, everyone else I saw had their mask on too. I see college students. On a Sunday morning, I got to give them credit. They must not have been partying that hard because they were there at like 930 on Sunday morning and thinking, I don't want to go down that aisle because I don't listen. If I were a college student, too, God knows what I was doing the night before, <laughs> you, know, you know, mask or not. I may have put myself as a college student in position to be around a bunch of people in a confined space, just breathing on each other, ugh, all that stuff. That was the first time that I think as a citizen of Champaign-Urbana, a townie, because I've been here my entire life. That was the first time that I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I want campus to be open again, which is selfish, but also coming from a place of, hey, you know, I, I don't want to increase my exposure and thereby increase the exposure to people that I care about, the, the small sphere of people, my family specifically, that I'm hanging out with during this time. So it has come close to home. I was thinking again of calling this episode back to school, one with Bubblicious, because I wanted to focus the first half of the episode on college basketball and its Bubblicious nature and the fact that hopefully Illinois will not be on the bubble. Another double meaning, right? We will not be on the bubble, but we will be playing in a bubble. I'll take that kind of bubble. So as we wrap up today's episode, kind of waiting for, I don't know about you, but it does seem like with colleges opening up, you're waiting for the inevitable tweet that this university is moving to online only because of nine clusters around campus that COVID-19 had an outbreak, just like UNC out in Chapel Hill. It seems like these inevitable headlines that you can already kind of see in your head coming from Reuters and the AP, oh boy, what do you know? Here's another one. And I don't want that to happen, but it's a helpless feeling to feel as if it probably will and thinking, well, what was the alternative? In the case of the University of Illinois, all the best laid plans and also the financial factor that if they go a full semester without room and board and tuition, that even the University of Illinois, for all the money that it does have, 
it would be struggling. And that would have some ramifications on employees. And I mean, God knows, right? It's tentacles spread very wide. So I understand the motivation behind that, even the motivations that are in good faith. And then this sort of pessimistic part of me, I would say realistic, but I certainly understand that I can turn pessimistic, but, uh, goes to this default thing of, well, wait a second, why are we actually doing this? What, what are we thinking? Smart people running universities. There was a meme that I saw on Twitter that really, I think, summed it up perfectly. It was a picture of Jerry Seinfeld, and the text above it read, college administrators. And then above Jerry, it said, what's the deal with kids socializing? Exactly. What's the deal with that? Well, that's what they do. There's psychology behind it. I'm, I'm no psychologist, but it is not necessarily as if 18 to 22-year-olds are making malicious choices. It's that they are acting as 18 to 22-year-olds do. I talk about rationalizing things just like I did back in college. Oh, that's probably not that dangerous. That's probably not that reckless. I certainly did it at a higher clip. Not coming from a malicious place or trying to get anyone hurt or anything like that, but God knows I did my fair share of things at that age that I wouldn't do now. I'd say, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> there are consequences to this. So even in the midst of a pandemic, when you're kind of turning the keys over to that age group and saying, okay, guys, we trust you. Here's the keys. Ooh, I don't know. That seems a bit risky. Godspeed though, college kids. You know, be, be safe. And for the ones that are trying to do it right, I don't know what that looks like. I guess thinking back to, you know, Fridays where we'd head over to a friend's apartment and there'd be like eight or nine of us. Is that okay? If we've all tested negative? Yeah, you know, probably, I guess. I'd probably still be doing that for sure. Uh, you know, that's what just sucks about the whole thing, right? There's no right answer. There's no guidebook. And there's always going to be gray areas. There are certain things that I just cannot abide by, like not wearing masks. But there are other things where I understand why people act the way they do because they aren't necessarily taking into consideration the impact it will have on others, but they aren't doing so in a malicious way. That may seem contradictory to all the times I've railed on people that perpetuate this virus. Maybe it's that attitude that I just talked about that has gotten us into this mess in the first place. And I want to get out of it. Because as much fun as it will be to watch Iowa and Kofi in a bubble, I'd much rather be watching them at State Farm Center. And maybe with a vaccine and all that kind of stuff, we'll be able to get some spectators in that thing by February or March. Not likely, not counting on it. Uh, but as we get into next season, and Iowa and Kofi are presumably gone, still going to be a pretty damn good basketball team. I want to be able to go see them. I want to be able to go see Rage Against the Machine next summer and Dave Matthews Band shows 76 through 80. Getting in the Grateful Dead. I want to see Dead and Company. I want to do all those things. But how do we do that? Of course, we need to get on the other side of this. Okay, before we go, we have gotten some really great ratings and reviews. I appreciate anyone that's getting those star ratings up on uh, Apple Podcasts specifically. We had one that I uh, thought was interesting here. This is from, let's see here, Captain Marco Ramius, Ramius, and it is titled Honesty. He gave me a five-star review, which is much appreciated, Captain, after last week when I got just... Uh, beaten to death with a couple one-star reviews. This one says, Carp actually criticizes DIA and Illinois athletics when it's warranted. He's totally cornered the market on it. And thank God, <laughs> I've cornered the market on criticizing the DIA. Hence, you will not be hearing from Brad Underwood, even though I'd love to talk to Brad Underwood. You probably will not be hearing from any Illinois coaches or anyone affiliated with the DIA. There's been more than a few over there that have 
unfollowed me over the years. Uh, you know, I, I say that, and I appreciate the review. I don't want to solely be the one to, or I, let me rephrase. I don't want to be solely known for criticizing the DIA. I appreciate that in this review they said when it's warranted. That's a key tag, right? It's not something that I want to harp on and accuse people over there of not doing their job well enough or anything like that, unless it is warranted. And unfortunately, for much of my life, the DIA here has been probably hamstrung by poor performance on the football side, but also kind of hamstrings itself, if that's a term I could use. Uh, they don't help themselves, I should say, sometimes with the way that they are, I don't know, insulated to an extent. I know Stephen Bardo for a while, he referenced the University of East Central Illinois. Mike Thomas tried to make a conscious effort to change that. I think Josh Whitman's done a pretty good job of changing that himself. And for the most part, the people over there are really good at what they do. But one example of the DIA acting a bit insulated, this is going to sound narcissistic as hell, so bear with me, was the, uh, how do we say, blackballing? <laughs> the blackballing of fanboy carp. Um, the reason why I'm not at 93.5, and I've hinted at this, and I'm not 100% sure because, of course, I couldn't get a straight answer from the boss back then, but part of the reason that I'm not there is because people at the DIA, whoever they may be, and unfortunately it's one of them maybe someone that I've known since I was 16, didn't take too kindly to how much I would criticize decisions made by the DIA on 93.5. Now, what really doesn't make any sense is by that point, it's not as if 93.5 was ever going to become the flagship home of Illinois sports. We've been spurned twice. So that ship had sailed. That was not going to happen. But I do find that to be a little humorous, but on the other part of it, to be quite real with you, a little bit disappointing because at the end of the day, whatever spurred on the 93.5 thing, and I know that the DIA pressure, let's call it, had at least some role with it, that cost me a job. You know, I can I can sit here and I can say that, well, I appreciated the 10 years I did. I can uh, appreciate the time I had with Lon and Jeremy and Trevor and Harry and anybody else that came, Austin, anybody else that came through 93.5, I did. And that time means a lot to me. But at the end of the day, I still lost a job. I, I got fired. You know, I didn't leave on my own accord. So with the DIA, you know, listen, I'm not going to go overboard and call them out for things that they don't need to be called out for. You know, they're, they're doing the best they can. And in these circumstances, more than ever, they are facing a hellish next few years where you're losing so much revenue where inevitably you're going to have to fire people. So coming from someone that has gotten fired before, and I think we can all relate to that experience, it sucks. I don't know how much there is going to be uh, able to be criticized of how the DIA acts in the next year because they're going to be winging it in a lot of ways. They're going to be trying to figure it out like every other athletic department in the Big Ten, Power Five, and God, imagine the mid-majors and what they're going to have to try to deal with because they don't have the Big Ten network money. So I appreciate the review. Thank you, Captain. Much appreciated. Any rating or review, that did just get me thinking, though, about how my relationship with the DIA or non-relationship, shall we say, <laughs> it, it's liberating in terms of what we can say on here because I don't need to worry about access or anything. I, I don't envy the position of beat reporters who are trying to find that balance between being critical when it's called for and yet not pissing off the wrong person so all of a sudden you don't get access. 
I don't need access. I'd like to maybe talk to Brad Underwood, but I, I saw him at Harvest Market once. I could have said hi. <laughs> uh, but it's okay because you're going to hear plenty from Brad Underwood from other outlets. Do you need to hear from him on the 200 level? I don't know. I, it would be a good conversation, though. I would love to, out of any coach that we've had post Bill Self, because Bill Self would obviously be the one that you choose for this question, who would you most want to have a beer with? John Gross, nice guy. Eh, okay. Uh, you go back to Bruce Weber. I would not want to have a beer with Bruce Weber. Maybe an ice cream cone at the most, but no beer with Bruce Weber. Football guys, Ron Zook would probably drive me nuts. You know, seems like a fairly nice enough guy, but back when he was here, there was enough sort of uh, insecurities on his part where I think that'd be an awkward conversation. Tim Beckman, maybe just for the comedic value, having a beer with Tim Beckman would be a lot of fun. Lovey Smith, Ah, cool guy, you know? I mean, he's a legend in football, great defensive coordinator, great years as a head coach of the Bears, but I don't know. I would probably go Brad Underwood because he does seem like a dude. Dude you can have a beer with, a guy that would shoot straight with you. And also, kudos to him. He has lost, what is it, 30 pounds. I know the Channel 3 did a story about that. I think the News Gazette did a story about that. He's walking 8 to 12 miles a day. And he's been doing this since the start of the pandemic. So he takes his phone with him, gets his calls in, all that kind of stuff, as he's walking 8 to 12 miles every single day. So that's pretty cool. Uh, kudos to him, because if there is a time to just sort of hunker down and get healthy, why not during a pandemic? So um, that would be the answer to that question, which just kind of came out of left field. Before I ramble on too long, again, rating and reviewing us on any podcast app that you listen to us, that's huge for us in the search engines. Appreciate all that. Appreciate our sponsors, DP Doe, online at dpdoe.com. They'll deliver to you. So if you're like me and you're a little skittish about going east of that viaduct on Green and Neal, you want to stay out of that campus bubble, they will bring you, I said the word bubble again, they will bring you a calzone to your home in Champaign-Urbana, dpdo.com. Also, 4th and Kirby, new volleyball t-shirt design, their first volleyball t-shirt, online at 4thandkirby.com. And finally, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen, brianismyguy.com, brianismyguy.com, life, auto, home, renters, business, Brian and the staff, they're experts, and they have your local interest at heart. That's brianismyguy.com. Alana Inquirer, Champagne Showers Podcast Network, partners with the 200 level. So school has started again for me, for the students at the U of I, faculty and staff. And that means that we will still be doing two episodes a week, the times and the days that they come out. Generally look for Monday and Thursday evenings. I'll try to shoot for that. Uh, but it might be a little bit more flexible as we get into teaching, which I'm excited to get back to with my third year as a writing teacher at Jefferson in Champaign. And it might be remote, but it will be a, it'll be a lot of fun to get back to it because that interaction, it's something I miss. But that is one way that the 200 level is a big help because it's one way that I can converse with you. So uh, until next time, we'll talk later this week. God knows there's going to be stories. There always are. But until next time, stay healthy, stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon. It is the 200 level.